0: He his I heard saying the sermon was going to be cut short because it started to play. I heard, I heard that. What are you saying? Tim said we're going to have a... Abbreviated service. service. <laughs> nice to uh, him, Tim. He didn't consult with the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, honey. We're just going we to have get through this together. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong sorry, sorry, honey. My fault. Sorry. <laughs> Same way. You haven't even Congrats. started yet. And you're already <laughs> 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 she must know. already. Oh, what the hell saying? No, honey. No. No no no, 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 no. no, 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 We're, we're, having, fun. we're, we're having fun. We're having fun with Tim. Just not joking. Oh, we're right. going to celebrate your birthday we're after we're all done here. Just kidding. We're all having fun. We're all having <right>. right. <laughs> fun. <left. about laughs> kidding. <laughs> we're all having. Just so cute. <laughs> we love you. We love the honesty. Yes. <laughs> That's tremendous. Let's pray, Father. Thank you, Lord, for for your Word, which gives us light and a darkened world. And Lord, you just guide us by it, and so we just pray that only your truth would be proclaimed uh, as you have. uh, For whatever purposes, Lord, just uh, chosen to use me in this hour for the ministry of your word. So please use it for the blessing of my friends, in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. 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 You know, we've been talking about the Incarnation the last few weeks, and so a return to Romans would have made sense, but I'm going to hold off on that for... Uh, one more time at least as far as I'm teaching because um, I thought I I wanted to present a message that will prepare us for the new year you know it's no secret that everyone loves the turn of a year it's that moment where you know you kind of turn over a new leaf you know, slate is you can wipe it clean start afresh. the whole idea of, of setting new goals uh, improving your life, whether it's be weight loss or getting in shape or maybe learning more, watching less, TV, getting out of debt, all those things. And the world's filled with a lot of voices that help us in that manner. I mean, uh, you turn on any radio or watch any program or YouTube or whatever, there's a lot of voices with uh, different input that is both helpful and inspirational. Um, And to be fair, some of that stuff is is actually very good from a practical standpoint. We can get a lot of of wisdom from the world, uh, and we can use it in our lives. And and I guess just at the outset, I just want to make that point that, that there's nothing wrong with receiving wisdom from the world in the sense that it always lines up with either what God clearly states or principles that are clearly manifested in his word. Because we know that the author of all truth is God. So even the world is receiving the blessing of truth and wisdom from the revelation of God. And as they declare it back to us and to the rest of the world, where it is lined up with God's word, we can receive it. And that's an awesome thing. But it's also true that, unfortunately, much that comes from the world is singularly self-serving. Especially when it comes to goal setting and things like we talk about at the beginning of a new year in terms of setting a course for themselves um because pleasing god is not on the world's minds it's pleasing themselves that is their only focus uh, they look to the things that appeal to the flesh and those are the things that they tend to focus on and that's unfortunately one of the things that we tend to be attracted to as well because we are still fleshy creatures we're still in this world we're not fully sanctified if you will um, But given that, uh, given this, God's people are not to give the the majority of their feeding from the table of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're to get our feeding and our inspiration from the table of God's word. Mm -hmm. And we know that from his word, specifically in Psalm 1, where it declares what? He says that uh, the blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But what? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And what's the result of that? It said that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So it's a picture of not only of being directed by God's word, but then also that aspect of flourishing as a result of it. And I think all of us, we want lives to flourish. We want our kids' lives to flourish. And so we get that by immersing ourselves in God's word and being directed by it. Now, we know from the clear testimony of God's word that his will for us, that God's will for us is our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 specifically says that. And it also is reiterated throughout the, the balance of Scripture. Wherever you turn, that principle keeps coming out. And if you remember the last time that I taught, when I taught on the Incarnation, I had talked about how what is one of our responses to the Incarnation and to our, our uh, salvation itself. Our response and all that is to be imitators of God. First John tells us that if we say that we abide in him, that we should walk as he walked. So there should be this, this working out of Christ-likeness within our lives as a result of this said commitment that we all have in Christ. There should be a real change in our lives. Um, and if you notice in those two statements where he says, be imitators of God, and if we say that if we abide in Christ, we are to walk in the same way that he walks, notice that those statements imply a deliberate action deliberate intentional action on our part we are to be imitators sanctification isn't something that just happens to us it's not like we're just sitting on a couch okay lord i believe you now change me right Uh, it's active and intentional and we've talked about this before whereas our salvation is monergistic meaning god acting alone and bringing us to life God giving us the gift of faith and drawing us unto himself. Sanctification is synergistic. It's two working together. He makes us alive. He indwells us. But then he also works to transform that which which we are, fleshy. And he transforms it into working with him to make us more and more into the likeness of Christ. And so, but the whole idea is that our sanctification isn't done by self-effort. This is not a a whole Christian form of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Mm. Sanctification comes by two disciplines, right? It comes by prayer and it comes by perseverance. We pray to the Lord because in praying we acknowledge that we are completely unable to do this. Without Him we can do nothing, and yet with Christ we can do all things. Philippians 4, right? Paul talking about being able to abound in whatever state he found himself in I can do all things through him who strengthens me so we have that principle already put in place so that's that's our dependence upon God but then sanctification comes also in perseverance in the fact that we make that intentional commitment to follow after Christ and we commit to the end to following after him it's an intentional process that we continue to have in our lives So, in light of this, I thought as God's people that we'd sit, as we prepare to sit down, if you will, to set the goals for our new year, that we would uh, have our minds, if you will, kind of redirected again by God's words so that we are setting them in such a way that they are in line with what God would have for our lives, his desire to have us sanctified, as opposed to just the worldly pursuits that we might want to have. That's not to say that setting the goal of, Having the, in our case, the you know uh, potentially you know house improvements done, or for our own personal self, you know, saying that I want to get myself in better shape, those are good and proper goals to have. But we often don't think about the things that. What does God want for us? What goals does God want us to set? How does He want us to be transformed in this new year? Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that by this teaching today, that it'll it'll um, we'll hear from God Himself on some of the things that He might want to have. To be working in our lives. So, with that, we're going to actually go to the book after which our dog is named. We're going to go to the book of Titus. (laughs) The great thing about this passage is that um, the passage we're going to be looking at has something for everybody something for everybody in our fellowship, from the oldest to the youngest. Now, the epistle uh, of Titus was written by Paul to a young man named Titus. Where's Titus? It's right after 2 Timothy in the New Testament. so weird. They don't even have it in my. Just find 2 Timothy, and you'll turn to the right of that, and you'll find Titus. So it's written by Paul to Titus. Titus was a Gentile convert of Paul's. And he actually was a young man that joined him on uh, several of his missionary journeys. In fact, uh, one of the uh, uh, books that I read had said, and I didn't check it myself, but it claims that uh, Titus is referred to nine times alone in Second Corinthians. So uh, he, is, uh, he was quite involved in that ministry. And obviously in others. And clearly he was involved with Paul uh, on the Isle of Crete. Now the Isle of Crete is one of the Greek islands. It's the largest of the Greek islands. Uh, Paul was there. He had planted churches. And the purpose of this letter is writing to Titus. And, and why so? Because he gives him his instructions on what he wants Titus to do. And what's the instruction that he tells him? What is Titus's ministry? We can see that in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you so Paul clearly planted churches in Crete and they were very much like this they were house churches throughout that uh, that island and Titus's task is to establish strong leadership amongst these churches by appointing shepherds that are going to feed those flocks and also defend God's word as the enemy of, uh, of, of Christ and the church begins to encircle them. Now, the context, let's look at the reason. Why would, why would Paul give Titus that ministry? Look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach and then jump down to verse 14 and then 16. he says that they devote themselves to jewish myths and commandments of people who turn away from the truth and in verse 16 they profess to know god but they deny him by their works so this is the context that paul is writing into that titus is living in he's living within uh, these brand new churches that are uh, beginning to grow and Paul is telling him listen you need to make sure that these churches are strengthened by Godly teaching and by godly shepherds who are going to stand against the onslaught of what is happening here Because as you see there are there are many insubordinate empty talkers coming to them There are people of the circumcision those that are still teaching that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved the Judaizers and then that last statement in verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So they're all surface; They're, they're nothing but charlatans. They're false shepherds. And so the church being under great assault from what, what, was he, what he was describing here were itinerant preachers. They were making their way around the islands from church to church actually um uh having these moral type speeches and beginning to to deceive the church in that way uh and that's what he's talking about when they when uh, that they do these things for shameful gain right they're they're going around looking they're pat, you know all putting the hat down looking for for people to be contributing to their ministries as they make their ways around the different towns so that's what the church is facing at this point point. and notice what the, the 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 main thing and you're going to see how this ties in as we walk through uh the the second chapter here he says that the outcome of this is that entire households were being disrupted the household is the nucleus the nucleus of the church mm-hmm. it's what god has called god's people to be a part of and to protect Amen that's where everything starts the mom and the dad coming together to raise godly children within which the word of god will be proclaimed within which the children will be uh, taught the direction of life Mm -hmm. and who to serve all of those things were being disrupted by these false teachers and what it's probably talking about is that the leadership within the household is being subverted Mm -hmm. and what as i read that uh, that is exactly the context in many respects of what we're facing here in America today. Amen to that. There are so many voices that are at work disrupting what God has put together. I mean, God gives that clear mandate in the, in the New Testament about marriage. He says, what God has brought together, let man not tore asunder. And that's actually what, what's happening with false teaching in this day. Although it doesn't come from itinerant preachers anymore. It comes from our phones, they have access to every one of us in such a way that has never been done before throughout of all of history. So the assault in the church is even more so than it ever has been in the past. And I, and I thought about what, how, how do we deal with that even in our present day? You've got um, compromised pastors, false teachers, and worldly influencers on the church in so many respects. I mean, think of some of our, our just recent examples. You've got guys like Andy Stanley. Mm-hmm. Who say that the Old Testament is no longer anything we need to refer to you've got you've got guys like Rick Warren who has said that God doesn't care how you vote vote for whoever you want it doesn't matter at what point does any part of our life become separated from what God cares about he cares about everything we got guys that supposed Christians like Joel Osteen who basically says "Well, man is basically good and there are probably many paths to God well that's clearly false and then you've got guys like Tim Keller, you know, with uh, astounding credentials in many people's eyes, and yet he still denies the seven-day creation account, subverting people's faith regarding those matters. So you've got those with the Christian garb on that are leading the church astray. And then you've also got the voices that are continually plaguing the church with doubt. Guy, you know, guys that are very persuasive, like, like Sam Harris, like Joe Rogan, right? Like Bill Maher. These are they're, they're guys that, that have that are very articulate and they can talk about things that can appeal to our reason and to our flesh, and so a lot of people are often turn in that direction. I can tell you that personally, at least and I have a, I have a daughter that has been swayed by the talk of the world. We had a conversation with her the other night, and she, she mimicked the exact words that you hear from those false teachers. I, I, you know, It's just astounding. Here we have this daughter that we trained in the word of the Lord for all the years we had her at home, and yet in a short period of time, she was clearly influenced by the things of this world. Now we understand why that happens. She's not born of God's spirit yet. She's clearly given over to what she, uh, a, a depraved mind would be given to. But it just, again, it's a reminder of the power of that kind of thing that's going on right now. These virtual pulpits are just leading people astray. So what's the church's response? The same thing happened in Crete as is happening here. The church's response, as Paul is uh, admonishing Titus to do here, he says what? He says, appoint elders who will faithfully and effectively engage with the enemy and shepherd the church. Engage with the enemy and equip the saints. And we see that in verse 9 of chapter 1. He says, speaking of the elders, right? So he's given credentials here. But look at this, this credential that he gives in verse 9. He says that the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy ta- uh, word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So he's got to have the, the, the food, the manna to give to the church, but he's got to have the sword. To be able to defend the church against the enemy. Now for our purpose today, what we're going to focus on is this issue of sound doctrine. For it's sound doctrine that directly impacts our sanctification, which is God's will for us. And that we're to use to influence and direct the goals that we set for our li- ourselves in life. Um, doctrine is the lens by which we view life and we make our decisions. And so that's why continually in this particular uh, letter especially he's always telling uh, Titus he's talking about sound doctrine focus on sound doctrine that whole idea of sound doctrine is taught that the word essentially sound is, is healthy what you should be teaching is healthy God-centered teaching rooted in God's word uncorrupted Because we know that God's teaching can be corrupted. There are many false teachers that have done that, that have the veneer of Christianity to it. But they've corrupted the essence of God's teaching. And also not to be teaching the opinions of men. The the only opinion that we should be teaching is the opinion that God has of us and of this world. That we can stand on with 100% confidence. And the little thing that I thought of was, you know, there was the old acronym of uh, GIGO or GEIGO, garbage in, garbage out, when it came to the computer world, right? You know, you put garbage into a computer, it's the only thing you're going to get out. Well, the same thing with life. Right? We put garbage into our bodies in terms of food, where it's going to manifest itself in, in, in lousy, the way that we feel, and, and no energy, and all of the things that come result, that result from that. And so I thought, maybe let's change that acronym to Bebo, right? Bible in, Bible out. I mean, the more Bible that we get in, we're going to have more of that exude out of us. So anyways, all that to say is that here he gives Titus this exhortation, all right, teach your flocks sound doctrine, and look for men and and appoint men that will teach sound doctrine to the the faithful. All right, so in, in that, what follows is God's word that, Uh, is sound that god has for his church and that uh, the way he's he we're going to look at chapter two we're going to walk through and he's going to identify four specific people groups that he's going to be speaking to and in each one of these we're going to get the revelation of god's will for those people groups but even as we're listening for each one of those and, and and listening more intently to the one that we each fit into Also know that all of these principles, in some manner, apply to all of us. If it's not just specifically to that group, you will see that as you're reading it, there's aspects of that teaching that also apply to ourselves in every way. So, let's kind of walk through this. And the first group that we see, that Titus focuses on, is the older men. And we see that in verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So when he says the older men, he's talking about heads of households. He's talking about the older gentlemen, and in and and, and, and most cases, it was, it was thought that these are going to be dads, guys who run their households. This is who he has in focus here. And look at just the, the, four, the, the characteristics that he has in mind for them. The very first thing he says about them is he wants them to be sober-minded, And what that means is basically clear thinking. He wants them to be unclouded, if you will, and even the context has to do with even drinking, unclouded by wine or by alcohol, not being in some way affected where you are not thinking clearly any longer like you would be if you were under the influence of alcohol. The whole idea is that we are to be not confused and not, not knowing which way to go. We are to know the path that we are on, And we are to be able to provide that for our families, that kind of stellar leadership that knows which way we're going, that there's no confusion about what we're thinking. We know which way we're headed. We're directed by God's word. The next thing he says, that they are to be dignified. That means we're to be honorable. And people that are esteemed by others, venerated in character. You know, when people are looking at our lives, people should see dignified people, that are standing out in society in in a sense people who act their age i mean one of the things that i think that comes off in our in our generation because of the influence of whether it's tv or you know whatever they're watching is that but there are a lot of guys who have grown up physically but they're still living like they're in their teenage years like their youth just and or trying to put on the appearances that they haven't gotten older I mean, you need to leave those boyhood things behind. There's a point at which older men need to be older men in society. Third thing, he says they are to be self-controlled. That means they're not to be driven by fleshly lusts or the desire of the flesh. They are to have the control to be able to curb one's appetites, if you will, in every aspect, in every way. And then lastly, notice what he says. He says they are to be sound or healthy in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So, in faith, they're not to be emotionally immature. They're not to just fall apart, you know, because their emotions swing them. They are to be grounded and mature in their faith. In love, they are to be self sacrificial and caring, right? That needs to manifest itself in a real, real outward way, not just in words. And also, in love, they're to be forgiving and merciful. I mean, all of that comes together. There's so much that, that, that needs to define what uh, a loving, godly man looks like. But then lastly, in steadfastness, they're to be consistent, steady, persevering, strong. That's what every family needs is a strong head of household that leads. The wife needs a strong man at the head of his family. The kids need a strong dad at the head of the family. And, that, and this is God's order. This is what God is proclaiming. This isn't just some, some you know, manly thing that a bunch of guys in the woods say this is what the light what household should look like. Mm-hmm. This is what God says that the house should look like in terms of, of the role of the older man. Amen. Older men are to live in ways that make them worthy of being looked up to. You know, we used to have that word. He, that guy's a pillar of society. We need to restore that. There is nothing wrong with that. We need men that are pillars of society, because it's with that that society is built and strengthened. Mm -hmm. So that's the men. They've got a full plate, and there's plenty of goals right there for each one of us men to set as something that the Lord would work further in our lives. But then he moves on. Number two, older women, in verses 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to be uh, to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Got a full list here. Let's just kind of walk through them together. Reverent in behavior. That can be defined as that which is befitting a person who is set apart by God just a woman who clearly is one who is Christ's is how that her life should be lived out not a coarse life not a rude life not disrespectful you know you you think about something like the these women that are on the view right that is not a model of what a reverent life looks like that's nothing that that any woman of God should be following Mm -hmm. Second, it says not slanderers. That word there is 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 uh, the way you define it is malicious gossip. And what's interesting is that the word that's used there, malicious gossip, is diabolos. If you know what diabolos is, it's the word for Satan. I mean, that's, that's quite a thing to put together, you know, for 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 them to say for the for Paul to be telling Titus to tell the women not to be slanderers in this way to be false accusers or devilish in in that particular way and part of why what he's doing here is he's dealing with the unfortunate stereotype in culture at this time within the Greco-Roman culture women were often portrayed as that as being gossips as being busybody gossips and it was often portrayed uh, in their um, in their uh, theater they would often set up and, and write stories with these women that were very stereotypical in this way. And so, uh, one of the commentators say that th- this is probably what Paul has in mind here because of that type of, of external worldly uh, mindset regarding women. They saw women as nothing but talkers and, 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 and disrespecters in this way. And what Paul is saying, God's women should be completely opposite of that for this world to see. We should not be mimicking that at all. But even just regarding that whole idea of of slanders we understand how how horrible and how powerful a a slandering tongue can be and I just want to turn us to uh, James chapter 3 real quick because this is just a great reminder about how important uh, the use of our words is in this world and this does not just apply to women this is this again applies to all of us Um, we need to be reminded of how our tongues and our words can actually be a fire that destroys yes. so let's look at James chapter 3 starting in the second half of verse 5 and ju- I'm just going to read through it and just just listen to the counsel and to the wisdom that is here given to us from the Apostle from from uh, the brother of our Lord James starting in uh, uh, chapter 3 verse 5 how great So, slander is just like a fire, it destroys, and we need to be mindful of our use of words. Mm-hmm. Then he goes on from there, and he says that uh, godly women, uh, an older godly woman, should not be a slave to much wine. That, that whole idea is that we're, uh, of being a slave is doulo, which is a form of the word doulos, which we understand being a, a bond slave to Christ. Well, in this case, he's using the, uh, a form of that word to say we should not be enslaved to wine. We should not be giving ourselves over to its control. That, that, uh, that admonition is given in other places in the scriptures as well, but the, the point is clear. We are to put ourselves under the influence of the Holy Spirit, primarily. Wine can be enjoyed as the gift that it is. But in this case, again, within that context, many women in that culture were given over too much wine and that was the characteristic of their lives and paul is saying no god's people should never be ever looked at in that same way and then he goes on he says that older women they must teach what is good and that's just simple that's just what is proper and helpful teaching the kids in the house the proper things of life just the normal course of how you run a household how you take care of a kitchen how you take care of a bedroom And so forth. Anything that goes along with that, that should be coming from the mom in the home. And he and he he elaborates on that. Says to train the young women to love their husbands and children. That means to discipline, of course, and to and to shape and correct them and instruct them. Now, why would he say you have to teach the younger women to love their husbands and children? Because husbands and children are very often unlovable. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I mean, think about it. We can be irritating. We can be disobedient. We can be downright mean. All of that requires what? It requires instruction in loving somebody in a moment like that. Because it's so easy to dismiss them or to want to get rid of them. I mean, unfortunately, in this society, the minute that uncomfortable things come, that thing comes between uh, a newly married husband and wife, and all of a sudden, the wife realizes that this guy is not turning out to be the one that I thought I married. I'll, and then the world will speak to this woman and say, well, you're just not happy. You just need to get out because you matter first and foremost. No! It's at that point that you say, you know, I need to learn to love this man. And, 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 I, and like I said at the beginning, the husband for the wife as well. This is a two-way street. But in this particular context, he's talking about the woman here. And they have to learn to love their husbands and then to teach their daughters what it means. How do you go about loving this husband you're going to marry someday? And the same thing for the children. How to love children when they're most irritating or disobedient. You know, Showing them how to overlook and to forgive. And to develop affection all of the things modeling what a godly life looks like in the midst of a broken world which we all come in, uh, encounter on a daily basis but it's noticed that it's this kind of instruction that forms that nuclear family that holds strong in the midst of any storm that it's called to face and that's what God forms he goes on again he, then he, he continues his instruction to the women he says that they must be self-controlled interesting he told the men to be self-controlled and now he's telling the women to be self-controlled and why is that because it's easy to live an out of control way it's easy to live just for our passions or for what is easy at the moment and he calls us to live a self-controlled not unhinged or wild life he calls the women to purity he says that they must be pure that's a modesty in appearance in conduct and in speech Not acting like the world, but living as a daughter of the king. There should be that external, visible difference between them. You know, teaching daughters that no, your aspiration should not be to want to be on the cover of Vogue Or to be the latest hottie on TikTok, getting millions of views. That is not an aspiration. Mm -hmm. Then he says, working at home in the sense this is to be the godly woman's primary focus is her home Mm -hmm. unfortunately in our society again homemaker has gotten a bad rap Mm -hmm. especially with the rise of the feminist movement homemaker is a four-letter word to the feminist Mm -hmm. they like the word breadwinner breadwinner is somehow exalted homemaker is somehow diminished and demeaned Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that the woman cannot be a breadwinner, cannot work outside the home. But in this context, it is clear where the focus needs to be. The focus primarily needs to be on the caring of the home. That is the, the order that God has put together. The woman has been charged to take care of the home and the family. And that's the directive that's being done here. That should be number one on the priority scale. An orderly God glorifying home is what gives rise to healthy families and by extension healthy societies when we when we live in God's order everyone benefits and that's again that's a that's a mindset that I think the church needs to really help their children understand going forward if we want to see a society transformed because we don't know how long the Lord is going to tarry Mm -hmm. we we need to expect him to return any moment Mm -hmm. But we need to live as though it's going to be a thousand years before he comes back. Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, submissive to their own husbands, meaning Amen. willingly subordinate. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it, ju- it just goes to the whole idea that God's design and order for the family, we each have a role to play. We're not talking about being a doormat. You know, we're going to, we could. This is, this is one of those hot item uh, subjects that we could that need a sermon on itself if we're really going to develop it. But let's just take God at his word in this. Because he, his word is not meant for our ill, it's meant for our good. Mm-hmm. And again, we're, we're, it's like it's been said, any, anything that has more than one head is a monster. And that's true in a family. God has created that, 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 that Christ is the head of the church and man is the head of the family. And there's an order in that for a purpose, for leadership. And in this case, it's a call for the woman to, again, submit to their husbands, because, again, in that society, what they were seeing was that women were constantly not submitting to their husbands and causing great chaos. So it's a call back to that. When we live in accord with God's order, God is glorified, and we flourish. But where there's resistance and rebellion and, uh, to, that, uh, to God's word... God's word is blasphemed, it's reviled, it's spoken evil of. And so clearly we want to live our lives in a way that do not do that. Okay, so that was for the women. So we've got the men, we've got the women. Now he goes on in our next verse, in in verse 6, he addresses the young men. These are young men that are just over the age of 13. He says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's a one-liner. Be self-controlled. The same principle goes, of course, to young women at the the very young age that are not moms yet. But the whole idea is to be self-controlled. Why is that? Why should they be disciplined and sensible and in control of their lives? Well, because it's easy to give in to the desire of the flesh, especially when the world has such an influence upon you. And especially when your bodies are going through the changes that they go to as a young person experiences, going through the whole maturing process, from puberty all the way up to adulthood. They're constantly being changed physically, physiologically, emotionally. All of that is coming into play. And then all of a sudden, you've got these temptations bombarding them. So what's the instruction that Paul, just in very simple terms, tells Titus to give to families in this way, to young men and young women? self-control your calls to be control of your desires don't be like the the one in Proverbs if you remember in Proverbs 7 where it gives that account where he says that he sees a young man lacking sense and all of a sudden he starts being wooed by a seductress down the street it says with seductive speech she persuades him All at once, he follows her as an an ox goes to the slaughter. He does not know that it will cost him his life. I mean, that is a a young man without any sense, without self-control. And yet the admonition is here, no. Teach your children self-control. You call them to this. They are not to be swayed by the seductress because that comes in many forms. And then he moves on in verses 7 and 8. And it's interesting as you're reading this he starts off with the uh t- telling the young men to be self-controlled but then he says this he says show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us so it's almost as if he kind of pivots really quickly and begins to address titus directly himself and in this i just saw a, a, a larger application. To young men that are beginning to be involved in ministry now okay because he was talking about young men in verse 6 now he's talking about them actually being involved in teaching so we'll just look at it as if he's talking to Titus specifically and to anyone who's going to be involved in some type of influencing position from a ministry standpoint at a young age because we know the Lord uses young people in all forms of ministry throughout the, the work of the church And he tells them what two things he says: be a model of good works. So essentially, do that which is helpful to others, right? And do it with excellence. That refers to both skill and attitude. You know, do it in such a way that you're an example for somebody else to watch and to want to emulate. And I told Lisa this the other day. I ran, I was in Wegmans, and I was going through the line, and I uh, had this young man. His name was Mustafa. And he was very quiet and unassuming, but he did such a stellar job at being one personable and just two, filling the bags in an orderly manner, not throwing the eggs at the bottom and the bread and then <laughs> everything else on top of it. I mean, he, did, he was thoughtful. Uh, we had a large order that day, so it was going to require a lot to get it all into the basket. And we made it. You know, I don't let's set this as a goal. Let's, we can do this. Um, it was just a nice little interaction. He was he was great. And then when I was leaving the store I stopped at the little kiosk that they have there and I wrote a little note for the manager and I, I wrote it says, you know, I was I was so blessed by this guy Mustafa. I said he did a great job. I said, I think he's a great example for all your other cashiers to follow and I hope you can give him a raise. And I just <laughs> popped it in. And where that goes, I don't know. But I want to encourage that kind of behavior amongst the youth because that was fantastic. Because so often you see others that they are just so derelict of any common sense in that way. You wonder, how, how are they even in that position? Did you even go through the training class? <laughs> but this guy was great. And so anyways, that's being a model of good works. And that's what young people should be of. And we should be the same thing. That, should, that doesn't get erased when we get older. We find that same principle as well. But then notice also, it says, in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. So integrity, something that's not corrupted with error. Right? So making sure that if you're going to teach, make sure that you teach what you're teaching is sound. Dignity, doing it in an honorable way, not in a way that's showy or that's trying to impress people. You know, for the one that I thought of here was uh, this unfortunate one that, we call, that they call a pastor, Steve Furtick. He's out there on stage with a huge soaker uh, water gun you know saying that he's going to spray his audience to get his point across that is not biblical teaching that's showmanship and that has no place in the church i love macarthur because he says he lays out god's verse god's word one verse at a time let god's word do the do the work not you and your showmanship so do that with dignity not in a way that's going to try to impress the crowds and then also sound speech wholesome speech truth-filled speech you know, the one that I thought of here was Mark Driscoll when he started off his ministry. You know, he, you know, everyone thought he was cool because he was using gutter, street, foul mouth language in order to so-called, you know, try to reach the lost in that neighborhood. You don't need to. They don't need to hear that kind of language because God doesn't use that language. And why for all of this? So that our teaching won't be censored. Or exposed for being wrong so that's the reason why we're to to, to get our, our our teachings in proper order and so that we silence our critics and opponents as they attempt to charge us with evil because they can't because if we stick with what God's Word says that's our foundation that's something we never have to run from and then the last people group that he has here is our bond servants we see that in verses 9 and 10 he says bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything there to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So bond-servant, again, going back to that word, the actual word is slave. It's talking about slaves in this particular context in Crete. We would apply that, of course, as employees, right? It's people that work for somebody else. So our, our application would be when we are working for others, or when we're em- employees to ourselves. Um, But in the case of being an employee, uh, we're to be one who is submissive, meaning that we know our role. Again, if we're working for somebody, we work in a way that says, I know I'm not the boss, and I don't try to be the boss. I submit to my boss's directive. That's what I'm supposed to do. And unless he tells me to do something that is ungodly or wrong or illegal, I'm to submit to his leadership. So do what you're appointed to do. Second thing, be well-pleasing in everything. And going back to that good works aspect of just doing everything that you do with excellence and with the right attitude. So that we're a blessing to everyone, to our employer, as well as to the customers we're serving. Third, not argumentative. So being agreeable and obedient, again, unless you're being told to do wrong. Don't be a nuisance or an irritating thorn to people by being argumentative constantly. Not pilfering, meaning being honest and trustworthy. Not somebody who's embezzling profits from the boss that you're working for. Showing all good faith. Not giving anyone reason to think that you're being disloyal to the company or to whoever you're working for. So all of these things are, are just common sense. But again, they speak to the context that Paul was writing into. Because within that context, bond slaves, in this matter were being looked at by general society. They were looked on with a jaundiced eye. People saw them as saying, you know what, they're nothing but a bunch of pilfers. You can't trust those people whatsoever. And again, Paul is calling God's people back to the standard that says, no, we are not to live that way. This is how we are to live. And for what purpose? And he finishes it off in the last verse of that passage. He says, so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The whole purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God. The Westminster Confession of Faith, the very first question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That, I mean, if you had to set a goal for life, that's it. That Mm -hmm. that is the summary goal of life, to to, uh, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, We're to live and work in such a way that is so virtuous that it makes attractive to the rest of the world that God is a God who saves. Notice he says that, to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It's the garment that we're to put on us. The gospel is supposed to be visibly manifested in the way we even live our lives. Yes, we we live it, we, we speak it by the word, and we give testimony to its truth by our actions that show the two that are together. And that's where the powerful testimony is. So, there it is. Uh, A solid, healthy list of biblical exhortation to work from when we're sitting down this year to plan our life goals for the new year. And you know what? As we went through this, it's clear from those in this room and those that are part of our fellowship, we're already living much of this out. I mean, we're not all just total rebels that are off that need all of this kind of honing. We're already living all of this to some extent. But the truth is, we haven't arrived yet. Mm -hmm. I've said it before, but R.C. Sproul used to love to say, you know, that I'm still working on my partially sanctified mind. Mm -hmm. Because he knows that it's only partially, you know, completed in terms of the work that God is, is working in us. And so if we're honest, we're going to use the things on this list uh, as, um, as indicators of the things that we all know that we need to work on and improve on. And there may be some things that we need to absolutely add to our lives that are just currently absent. But they give us God's word for us. So choose what applies to you most and then prayerfully pursue it so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Father, thank you for this instruction, so practical and uh, so God glorifying. And I pray that uh, you would work in us, Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and guide us that we would uh, that we would work on these things, Lord, in mm-hmm. concert with you, empowering us to make these changes in our lives so that we might increasingly manifest our allegiance to you, our love for you, mm-hmm. and uh, and lord just to just to declare to the world the genuineness of our said faith lord that mm-hmm. they would see that it's not just words mm-hmm. but that it shows up in the way we live and the way we uh, we interact with others lord so mm-hmm. please adorn the gospel of god our savior in everything we do we ask it in jesus name amen, amen. amen. thanks mark that was very-